Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Lord, we come on a weekly basis trusting your spirit will be at work in our hearts and in our minds, teaching us of the good news, turning us from ways that are self-destructive and drawing us closer to you. And so, Holy Spirit, we trust you to do that again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a question. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? Maybe you're here today and you're angry right now. <laughs> what, what made you angry? Uh, maybe think about the past week or the past year, maybe even over your lifetime. What, what is the angriest you ever got? You got something in mind? What made you angry? Here's the thing, whatever makes us angry reveals two important things about our hearts. It reveals what we hate, and it reveals what we love. Let me give you a couple examples. So one thing that makes me angry is inattentive drivers, okay? Specifically, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you're pulling up to a red light and there are two lanes on your side of the street and the left lane goes straight and turns left and the right lane goes straight or turns right and and you are the second car up in the right-hand lane and the person in front of you is there. You have your blinker on, but they are just chatting away with the person next to them or talking on the phone or, or surfing on their phone or whatever it might be. And you're there at the red light for a minute or two, and you're assuming they're waiting to go straight. But then when the light turns green, they look up, they look around, and they make a right turn. And they have kept you imprisoned for 60 seconds, right? That makes me angry. Uh, It is not a selfish, it's not a righteous anger, it is a selfish anger, but it makes me angry. And it shows that I hate I hate, I hate lack of productivity. And I don't love that person. I love trying to get to my next spot as quickly as possible. That's, that's, that's one illustration. Another illustration of what makes me angry is the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine makes me angry because from everything I understand, it's basically the result of one man and and one nation's greed to take over those that are smaller than them. And because of that, families are being broken apart. Innocent people and children are dying and it makes me angry. And it makes me angry because I love justice, because I love peace. It makes me angry because I hate, I hate injustice. I hate, I hate unjust brutality. I hate families being broken up. 
You see, when we get angry, it shows what we love and it shows what we hate. Whether it is a righteous anger or an unrighteous anger, it shows these things about what we value, what we love and what we hate. It is a window into our heart. In today's passage, Jesus is angry. But why? What does his anger show us about what Jesus hates? And what does his anger show us about what Jesus loves? If you would please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Uh, And it is page 847 in the Red Bible. Mark chapter 11. We're going to go verses 12 through 25 uh, today. Context is critical in this passage. If you've noticed, we skipped over Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And that's because we covered them back on Palm Sunday of this year. It's the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem when people are waving the palm branches saying, Hosanna, Lord, save us. It was a celebration and a welcoming home of the king. And as important as that triumphal entry was into Jerusalem, what is of equal importance is where Jesus goes when he gets into Jerusalem. You see, most kings, when they come home from a long journey, they will go to their castle. Because that is where they dwell, that is where they rule, that is where they reign. But Jesus does not go to a castle, Jesus goes to the temple. And the reason why Jesus goes into the temple is because as he has said since he was a child, this is his father's house. Furthermore, the temple was the, special, was the place where the special presence of God and the reign of God and the blessing of God was concentrated for the people of God. And so if you look at verse 11 with me before we jump into our passage today, this is the verse right prior to our passage, but it's important to see. It says this, And Jesus entered Jerusalem, this is right after the triumphal entry, and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. When Jesus went into the temple late, most of the people had, had left by that time. And Jesus' looking around was not sightseeing, it was an inspection. He was inspecting the temple like like a health worker will inspect a restaurant, seeing if it was doing what it was created to do, which was to foster the worship of God. After this, Jesus walks to Bethany where he and his disciples spend the night. And that's where our passage picks up the next day after he has inspected the temple. So it's a longer passage. Uh, We're going to look at verses 12 through uh, 21 to start with, okay? So Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons." And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? 
but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. In the atrium, we have uh, some books out there to encourage folks. And one of the, the books out there is called Gentle and Lowly. And as the subtitle, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It is true, Jesus is gentle and lowly towards sin strugglers and towards the hurting. But here in this passage, we see Jesus like we have never seen Jesus before. Jesus is angry. Some might say Jesus has gone postal or that Jesus has gone nuclear. Jesus is unleashed. This is not the spineless, limp-wristed, effeminate Jesus that so many people envision. Jesus is furious. But again, why? What is it that Jesus hates so much? Or what is it that Jesus loves so much that makes him so angry? Well, today we only have two points. They're longer points, so don't get too excited. We have two points, the first one being a little bit longer. And we want to answer this question, what, why is Jesus so angry? And the first point, we'll, we'll discuss why is Jesus so angry because of what he hates. And then the second, we'll talk about why is Jesus so angry because of what he loves. Okay, you got it? So the first is this. Why is Jesus so angry? It's because Jesus hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig trees. Say that really fast. Two times in a row. It's hard to do. Jesus hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig temples. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. All right, so we have a couple things to, to look at here. First, look at Jesus' route to Jerusalem. So if you look up here on this map, Jesus, during Holy Week, would spend the night in Bethany, probably with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then he would travel into Jerusalem and into the temple. This is about a two-mile walk, which would be about from here to Quick Trip. Okay? And so they would walk that in the evenings and in the morning to go and spend the night. As Jesus is walking into Jerusalem on this Monday, uh, he notices a fig tree that is, quote, in leaf. That is with leaves or with foliage. Now, if you're like me, you may not know what a fig tree looks like. And so I put a picture of a fig tree up here for you. This is what a fig tree looks like. If you remember, Jesus saw Nathaniel resting under the shade of one of these fig trees. They were very lush and, and lots of foliage on them. And, and, and I don't know uh, if you can guess, but the fruit on a fig tree would be figs, right? Uh, if you don't know what a fig looks like, this is what a fig looks like right here. You can see it on the screen. Right there, that's what figs look like. Um, at least that's what they always look like when I was a child or, or as an adult. And, uh, but, but here's what figs really look like. Figs are, are, look like this. These are nice, ripe, good, delicious figs. Um, this is not what Jesus was looking for on the fig tree. 
As verse 13 tells us, it was not the season for figs. You see, before a fig tree has fully developed figs, they have something called pagium. Uh, from March until April, which will be the time of Passover. And so here we have a picture of Pagium. You see them in green there. And then the fully mature fig in, in the purple. Uh, I think of tomato plants or, or apple trees. You know, that the, the, they're green before they turn red. Uh, that would be the case for this plant. But what is important here is the process in which these trees grow. Uh, first, the tree would produce Pagium. That's the first thing it would produce is these green uh, fruits, all right? And then it would produce leaves. And so it would produce the pagium, which, which people in that day would eat, and then it would produce leaves. But this fig tree that Jesus encounters has fig leaves with no pagium. And so in verse 14, we see this, and he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Why is Jesus so angry? Why does Jesus curse this fig tree? It's, because, it's not because Jesus was simply hangry. It's far more than that. You see, we are at the beginning of what's called a Markin sandwich, okay? Mark does this where he, where he sandwiches stories together, where he will start with one story, put in another story, and then finish the original story that he begun down here. And, and he's going to do this with the, the fig tree and with the temple, and so what Mark is doing is he's using this literary device in order to show us that there is a connection between the fig leaf, the fig tree, and the temple. And so they are, these stories are mixed together. You see, 600 years prior to Mark 11, as a mouthpiece of the Lord, Jeremiah speaks to a rebellious, idolatrous, and fruitless Israel. For hundreds of years, God had warned his people and called them to repent and come back to him, but they refused time and time again. And then in Jeremiah 8, we read this, and there's so much overlap between this passage and the passage today. And Jeremiah 8 says, The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? That's a great question. They've rejected the word of the Lord, so they have no wisdom. Therefore, because they've rejected the word of the Lord, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophets to priests, everyone deals falsely. This is the religious leaders who are supposed to be the ethical leaders of the community. They are out for their own greed and unjust gain. Remember that. That's going to play into today's passage. Verse 11 says, they have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, they're saying, hey, we are good with God. You are good with God when they were not good with God. Verse 12 goes on, says, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, and then here it is, nor figs on the fig tree. Jesus' inspection of the temple the night before revealed that the temple had gone back to the time of Jeremiah. The leaders had the foliage of true religion. 
They were doing sacrifices and the religious rituals commanded by God, but they were empty practices. The religious leaders' hearts were corrupt, and they were more focused on filling their own pockets than the worship of God. As Isaiah prophesied, greedy for unjust gain, for prophets to priests, everyone deals falsely. Why is Jesus so angry? It's because Jesus hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig temples. Jesus starts with the illustration of the fig tree, but then he moves into the reality of the temple. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Again, I'm sure as Jesus entered the night before after work hours and saw all of the trading temples up, he knew what was going on. And so he comes into the temple in the busiest week of the year, Passover week, and he takes over the temple as if he owns the place. Flips over table, drives people out. To give you a picture of what is going on here, is this is a picture of the Herodian temple. And I don't know if you can see it, but there's this small half wall right here. And that only, only Jews could go past that half wall. And out here was the court of the Gentiles, okay? And that Gentile is anyone who is non-Jewish. And so it's a court for all of the nations to come and to hear from the Lord and to worship the Lord and to be encouraged by the Lord and to commune with the Lord. And what the religious leaders had done is turn the court of Gentiles into Walmart. Not only into Walmart, but into Walmart on Black Friday, the busiest day of the year. And so could you imagine being in Walmart on Black Friday, trying to hear from the Lord, pray to the Lord, hear teachings about the Lord? You can see why Jesus is so angry. It's because the very people that were put in place to foster these folks' relationship with the Lord were actually distracting them from the Lord. They were there providing services, selling animals and, and exchanging coinage. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a service provided for foreigners coming from far away. The main problem was not that they were selling, but where they were selling and how they were selling. They were set, first off, they were set up in the court of the Gentiles, which again was taking away the worship that God is due from the nations. It was a sacred place. But in addition to that, they were doing it in a very crooked way. They, they, were, they, were charging, they were charging an exorbitant price to exchange money, 75 cents to a dollar. One, one preacher said that, that, that they would take uh, the pigeons, which were meant for the poor people who could not af afford a lamb, and they would take a pigeon, which would normally be five cents, and would charge the poor four dollars to purchase, to purchase that pigeon because they couldn't afford anything else. This is how corrupt it was in the days of Jeremiah, how corrupt it was in the days of Jesus. Now it's interesting because Jesus also says he wouldn't let anyone carry anything through the temple. This is probably vendors, people who would want to come through and sell popcorn or, or people who would want to cut through the sanctuary because it was quicker than walking around the temple, right? And so can you imagine, can you imagine popcorn here in the middle of a worship service or people just cutting through? because they don't care about your worship of God. This is why Jesus is so angry. And Jesus puts his words to it here in verse 17. And Jesus was teaching them and saying to them, 
Is it not written? Again, here goes Jesus quoting the Bible again. Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles. He's in the court of the Gentiles. But you have made it a den of robbers. You know, I can almost imagine the Gentiles cheering and applauding Jesus and steam coming out of the religious leaders' ears. Here, Jesus calls the religious leaders robbers, which means this temple is not their home. A robber is an illegitimate intruder. They are trespassers because they are not true children of God. Furthermore, they are not only robbing the poor to fill their own pockets, but they are actually robbing God of the worship that he is due from the nations. Jesus was not clearing the temple of Gentiles. He was clearing the temple for the Gentiles. Jesus was angry because Jesus hates when anyone or anything gets in between us and God. Worship and relationship with God is what God is owed and is what we were created to do. And in this case, what was standing in the way of the Gentile communion with God were the very people prescribed to foster that communion with God. It was foliage-filled, fruitless, fig temple leaders. Jesus is angry because he loves the Father, and he loves people, and he loves when they commune together. The passage continues, verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Jesus was not the only angry person in the temple that day. The religious leaders were angry as well. And as we mentioned, anger is a window into our heart to show us what we hate and what we love. And so what is it that, that these religious leaders hated? What is it that they loved so much that was being jeopardized that made them angry? Well, it wasn't the fact that Jesus turned over tables. It wasn't the fact that Jesus had a, a whip cord and was driving people out. It wasn't the, the fact that Jesus cursed the fig tree. Look there in verse 18, it tells us why they were so angry. Verse 18 again says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Why? Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. They were angry because the religious leaders wanted power, position, and popularity, and Jesus was threatening all of that. John 12 describes the religious leaders this way. It says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. These religious leaders were more interested in worldly riches and accolades of man than they were in, communion, than in their communion with God. And dare I say, there are many churches like this today. Churches today that have the green foliage of the sacraments, of, of rituals, maybe even of Old Testament and New Testament Bible reading, but they are apostate churches. I'm not talking about churches that disagree with us on secondary matters, but rather churches and even denominations that have forsaken the word of God to accommodate and celebrate the ways of the world. Churches that do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but preach a false gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity, or a false gospel of rejoicing in cultural practices that God calls an abomination. And so what does Jesus do with such temples? What does Jesus do with such churches? 
Well, look at verse 20. It says, and as they passed by in the morning, this is the next day, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots at its very heart. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Make no mistake, this is an extraordinary miracle. Within the course of 24 hours, a luscious fig tree that looks like this turned into a decrepit tree that looks like this. That doesn't just happen. This was a miracle of Jesus, and this is the only destructive miracle of Jesus. Every miracle that Jesus has done up to this point and following this point is a miracle that restores life. But this miracle destroys life. And the question is why? And the reason is this. The fig tree, the foliage-filled fig tree that had no fruit represented the temple in the time of Jesus. But the decrepit, cursed, dead fig tree represented a prophecy of the temple that was yet to come. You see, many years after this, about 40 years after this, in 70 AD, at the hands of the Romans, the, the temple was destroyed. It was torn apart. And this is no small feat. I mean, that temple is three football fields wide and five football fields long. It is 35 acres and six stories high. It is a massive temple, seemingly indestructible. And yet the Romans completely dismantled it. They destroyed that which was the center of Jewish worship, where people were supposed to come to encounter the special presence of God. In Mark 11, Jesus had come to Jerusalem to cleanse the temple, but he would later send the Romans to destroy the temple. This is how much Jesus hates the distracted, disrupted worship of God. And so why, why is Jesus so angry? because he hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig temples, fig religious leaders, churches, worship services. Yeah, I saw an article from June of this year saying that churches are closing their doors in record numbers. And, and while we may grieve uh, those faithful churches that are shutting down, I think the large majority of them, Jesus is shutting down himself because he hates they're fruitless worship services. They deceive people and lead people away from God. Jesus does this with many of the churches in Revelations. He does it with churches today. And I would say that we can actually celebrate when Jesus shuts down some churches because while such churches were intended to lead people closer to God, they are driving people away from God. Now with that said, I don't think this withered fig tree is only a prophecy of the temple and of those churches who forsake God but it's also a wake-up call for us today. Do you know the first time fig leaves show up in the Bible? Genesis 3, verse 7. When Adam and Eve rebel against God, they sew together fig leaves to cover their sin and their shame. Maybe you're here today and, and you have lots of religious foliage on. Lots of religious fig leaves trying to cover your sin and shame. You come to church, you smile, you're nice, You've been baptized, you take communion, you carry a Bible around, you have all of these religious fig leaves on, but you will not repent of your sin. You will not turn to Christ and surrender everything to him. You are not growing in the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Maybe you know what it is like to be as 
Jesus says, a people who honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Why did you come to church today? Did you come just to play church? Or did you come to encounter God with the people of God, to worship God, to hear from God, to treasure God, and to commune with God. If we are honest, I think all of us would say there are times when our religion is only skin deep and it does not penetrate the heart. And the remedy for that is not prob- it's probably not to, to, to change your religious practices, but to repent and to ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart. Why is Jesus so angry? Because Jesus hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig trees, temples, churches, and worship that keeps people from communing with their creator, God. The second reason, and this is shorter, the second reason Jesus is angry is because of what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves faith-filled, forgiving, forgiven followers. Okay, after Peter observes Jesus, uh, the, the, the fig tree that was cursed and, and completely dead, Jesus responds in a very peculiar way, almost a way that seems disconnected from Peter's observation. Verse 22, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. What a weird response. Jesus, look, the tree that you curse is all withered up. Have faith in God. What in the world is Jesus saying in this passage? Well, what I think Jesus is trying to communicate is as good and majestic as the temple was, they should not have faith in the temple. They should not have faith in the religious leaders. They should not have faith in the rituals. The temple religious leaders and rituals were all gifts given by God to foster their faith in God. But none of them were to be the object of their faith as it was for so many of the Jews of that day. They, they needed to have faith in God himself, not in the things that point us to God. Then speaking in hyperbole, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. The ESV study Bible notes that to move mountains is something that was used in Jewish literature to describe something that is impossible. And so this would be a phrase that they would be familiar with. And what Jesus is exhorting them towards here is faith in God that he can do the impossible. Because Nothing is impossible with God. Now, this passage is is very confusing, and a lot of people will take these verses out of context and use them to promote, again, a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that if you just believe enough, if you have enough faith, you will be healed, or you will be a billionaire, or you will make it to to the major leagues. They name it, and they claim it. But, of course, the problem with this theology is the Bible, (laughs) If you just read the rest of the scriptures, you find out that Jesus was poor and homeless. That Jesus prayed for the Father to take the cup of wrath away from him, and the Father did not, because Jesus always says, let your will be done. Jesus has faith in God that no matter how he answers his prayer requests, God is going to do what is best for his people and for his kingdom. It's like if my 11-year-old child asked me, Father, Father, may I drive myself to Six Flags? They may believe with all their heart that I will grant them this wish. 
in which case they will be sorely disappointed. But if they believe with all their heart that I love them enough to do that which is better for them, better than what they can see, then they will never be disappointed. See, when we, when we pray to God, ask for anything, ask for everything, ask for the impossible, but believe that God knows what is best. Another example of this is the apostles, whom Jesus is talking to. All of them were tortured. Almost all of them were martyred for their faith, and yet they all probably prayed for safety and for preservations. But they had faith that no matter what came their way, that God was in control and he was going to do what was best for them and for the kingdom. And they knew that to die would be gained because they had faith in God. This is why Jesus calls us first and foremost, have faith in God, believe, pray for the impossible and trust God's wisdom for its response. Now, as we read on, we see that Jesus says uh, there are some mountains in our lives Uh, that we should be praying for, okay? Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. I don't know about you, but forgiveness seems harder than moving a mountain to me. When someone has wronged me, when someone uh, has hurt me, when someone deserves uh, my my, uh, reaction, it is hard to forgive. Jesus continues this, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Listen, if you are unable to forgive other people, and I'm not saying it comes easy, I'm not saying it comes quick, but if you're unable to forgive people their sins, then it shows that you have never really received the forgiveness of God in Christ. You have never repented of your sins and, and, saw, and, and received the grace of God in your life. And the only way you can forgive others is if you have first experienced that forgiveness of God. Now, there's something else important that is happening here. Remember, this is all tied into what happens at the temple and what's happening in the temple. One of the main reasons people came to the temple was to receive the forgiveness of sins from God through atonement, through the sacrifice of an animal, which would pay for their sin and pay for their debt. But Jesus is prophesying the end of the temple in 70 AD. And so how would the people get the forgiveness of sins if the temple was gone? How would they, how would they atone for their sins? Where would forgiveness be found? You see, all of us have lived under the cover of religious foliage. We have all eaten forbidden fruit and covered our nakedness and shame with the fig leaves of practices and self-righteousness. And like the fig tree, we all deserve the curse of God, the wrath of God, and the destruction of God. But here is the thing, the amazing thing. At the beginning of Holy Week, Jesus cursed a tree as an act of God's judgment. But at the end of Holy Week, Jesus would become a curse hung on a tree to endure God's judgment. Let me say that again. At the beginning of Holy Week, Jesus cursed a tree as an act of God's judgment, but at the end of the week, Jesus would become a curse hung on a tree to endure God's judgment. Galatians 3 says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. He became, he became a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, I have good news for you today. Jesus not only came to cleanse the temple and destroy the temple, but to become the temple. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days it will raise up. 
And he was speaking about the temple of his body. Indeed, Jesus would raise again in three days as the temple of God as proof that our curse and our sin had been paid in full upon the tree of the cross. And then 40 days later, Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, it is better for you that I go away. And the reason why Jesus ascends into heaven is so that he might send down his Holy Spirit into you and to me and into his church. For as great and beautiful and majestic as Herod's temple was, and it was awe-inspiring. It was just a shadow of the greater temple that was to come, the temple of the church. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul puts it this way. Do you not know, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you, you all, the church, are that temple. What made the temple so great was not its size or its splendor. It was the spirit of God. And now that spirit dwells within you. Why is Jesus so angry? Because Jesus hates foliage-filled, fruitless fig temples, churches, worship services that keep people from their creator God. But also because Jesus loves. Jesus loves faith-filled, forgiving, forgiven followers. Let me end with a time that I got really angry. Uh, It was about two years ago from now. And my son, my oldest son, Corbin, was playing football for Preble. He was a freshman at the time. And they were playing down in Fond du Lac. And uh, I think the score was pretty, uh, I think we were losing by a lot, if I remember correctly. And I was sitting there in the stands, and, and the rest were not calling much of anything, uh, to the point where I'm like, man, this is getting really dangerous. Someone is going to get seriously hurt if the rest don't bring this game under control. Uh, people were getting tackled 10 yards out of bounds, and, and there's no flag. It, it, was, it was dangerous, and it was scary, and, and I thought, man, someone is seriously going to get hurt. Well, the person who seriously got hurt was my son. My son went out for a pass, and he cut across the middle, and he caught the pass, and as he brought the pass down, the defender launched the crown of his helmet up into my son's head. And my son fell to the ground, lifeless, And there was no flag. And I was so angry. Not because I wanted the penalty yards. Because I wanted justice. I wanted safety. I wanted the people who were paid to protect the kids to protect the kids. And they were not doing their job. I was angry because I hated how unsafe it was. But I was angry because of how much I loved my son. That was my boy. That's why I was angry. You want to know why God gets angry? You want to know why Jesus is angry? Because you are his son. Because you are his daughter. Because he is jealous for you and he hates anything, any sin of some other person or any of your sin that keeps you from communion with him. And so when you see the anger of Jesus, when you see him turning over the tables and driving people out, Know that he does it because he loves you. You know, I love my son more than life itself. And Jesus loves you more than life itself. And we know that simply by looking to the cross. Because at the cross, he gave up his life for you to restore your communion with the Father, to restore your enjoyment 
of God, to restore your worship of God, and to place his Holy Spirit inside you as the temple of God. Why is Jesus angry? Because he is jealous for your heart, because he loves you more than life itself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful (laughs) that you would love a people that are so unlovable so many, so much of the time. And yet you cherish us so much that you get angry that you flip over tables in this world. You flip over tables in our hearts because you hate anything that keeps us from you. God, I pray that we would hate what you hate. Would we hate the sin in our lives that keep us from intimate communion with you? Would we seek to put it to death? Lord, if there are churches in Green Bay that do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray that you'd either bring them to repentance, help them see the gospel, or that you would shut them down because we want them to lead you closer to you. God, I pray that we would not be a bored, apathetic people, that that we would be a people who love greatly and get angry at the things that anger you and would be reminded of your jealous love for us, that you treasured us so much (laughs) that you sent your beloved son to the cross to die, to gain us to yourselves. May we rejoice in your love for us today and for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.